It's good to be with you today here in the St. Louis area. My wife and I just made it in last night. Uh, Tracy is with me. She travels with me when she can, and uh, I'm thrilled to have her with me here. I think of uh, where the church uh, in America is at today, and we have a lot of fear and anxiety, and we see what's happening in the world, and we've got, we've got elections coming up, we've got upheaval in our cities, many things that are happening that are, that are driving Christians, I pray, to prayer. We have been in over 100 of our district churches from Arkansas, uh, so the area that I serve is Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, and then a little portion of South Dakota, uh, and it's uh, about 900 miles from the northernmost church to the southernmost church in our district. So I'm on the road almost all the time, and we live in the Des Moines area, Des Moines, Iowa area. And so to be here this morning with you is such a blessing. I really uh, am so thrilled to be here. But I want to remind you of, of something as we look at what's happening in our culture, even in, in our churches, and, and we see how God is powerfully at work. And by the way, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 in just a few moments, but I'm reminded of, of Psalm 11, verse 3. It says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I remember E.V. Hill. E.V. Hill was an old preacher and, and has passed away, but he looked at this verse, and in every generation, there is a time that we feel like the foundations are being destroyed. And E.B. Hill, he said, we report for duty. We serve a holy, holy God. And it's time for us to, to report to duty and ask God, what do you want from the rest of my days here on this earth? What is your plan? What is your will? What is your purpose? And I want you to know that we are praying for men and women of all ages in our district to be, be touched by the Holy Spirit of God, to be raised up, to plant churches all across our district. There are so many people who need Jesus Christ in our cities and in our rural areas. And we're asking for bold people who will step up and report for duty. And I, I would just ask you to pray and, and be a part of that as you can here at First Free in St. Louis. I want to thank you for the years and years of committed ministry here, for your love for the gospel for your heart and passion for your city, and for those who need to know Christ. Let's pray as we open up Acts chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 26 to 40. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being men and women who are on journey with Christ. We are not here by accident. Even today, hearing this particular passage and challenge, we are here because you brought us here, Lord. Holy God. May you speak because your servants are listening. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Trust is really, really difficult. We don't know who to trust anymore, and sometimes we look at our leaders and across our, our nation or the world, and we say, who can we really trust? And so anxiety wells up in us, and I really understand over the last couple of years that anxiety and fear um, are, are just, they're, they're residents in our hearts and our lives right now. I meet so many people that are, what is, what is going on in this world or what is God up to? And I think of the trust that we, we desperately need in our, our Heavenly Father. I remember when our, our youngest daughter, when she was eight years old, it was time for us to move. 
Pastors occasionally move on from one church to another as God calls and moves. And she was eight. Now she is married, has her own little baby. And uh, she did not want to move. In fact, we had a little family gathering with our kids, my wife and I and our kids. And we said, God is moving us from this place to this place. We weren't looking. We weren't praying about should we move until they called. And then we began to pray and God moved in our hearts and it was time. And she said, Dad, I'm not going. And she's eight. You know, what do you do with an eight-year-old that says, I'm not going? And we had taught our daughters very, very young. We taught them to have a really strong no. Because we understand that in this world, a young lady needs to have a really strong no. And so she used it on me that day. She used a really strong no on me. And she said, Dad, you don't understand. I am not going. You guys can go ahead, but I'm, I'm staying here. Again, what do you do? I mean, I, I took a step back and I said, well, you don't really understand. You're not old enough to make your own call on that. You have to go with us. And she said, but dad, dad, I have friends. You don't have any friends. <laughs> you know, the hard, the hard thing was she was kind of right. I had a lot of acquaintances, but she had friends. And so we, we kind of struck up a plan, and she was going to move with us. But I said, well, what can I do when we get there? She said, you can go door to door and find me a friend. And I, I said, you want me to do that by myself? And she said, I want you to, you, you got me in a yes. I want you to go door to door and find me a friend. And I said, well, there are way too many things wrong with that picture. I'm not doing that. But would you go with me? And here my, my little eight-year-old daughter went with me door to door. We knocked on the door and we found her a friend. I just want you to think about that for a moment because if a father who is sinful and imperfect and uh, my daughter could number off the ways in which I failed in, in being a dad, a perfect dad, if an imperfect dad would do that for his daughter, how much more our God, our heavenly father leading us and guiding us in life and caring about all of the details of our lives. We're going to talk today about living in the flow of the gospel. And I want you to know if you surrender your life to Christ, whether it's baptism, and by the way, thank you for sharing your heart about baptism in active obedience. But I'll tell you what, everything we do is an act of obedience. You've been created, the Bible says, by him and for him, and that is Jesus Christ the leader and lover, and not only that, but the one who gets to guide and direct your life. He's the only one who gets to tell you what to do. In Acts chapter 8, I want to bring you to a couple of verses before we get to our, our verses, beginning in verse 26. I love verse 8 because what was happening is they were proclaiming, look at verse 4, now those who were scattered were about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed to them the Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him, they saw signs that he had done for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many were paralyzed or lame, and they were healed. So there was much joy in the city. That's uh, what's happening around the story that we're going to pick up this morning in verse 26. 
There was so much joy in the city. Do you realize that when we as God's people bring the gospel, the clarity of the gospel to God's people and to those who don't know Christ, do you, be, do you believe that it brings joy to your city? It really ought to transform our cities. And as we jump down to verse 25, right before the passage we're going to pick up this morning, in verse 25, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. They were on the move. Do you know how normal it was in the first century to go and share the gospel? It was absolutely normal. It's really not normal every day in America, but it is normative in the book of Acts in the first century. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you share the gospel. It's what you do. Because he won you, he called you, he redeemed you, he justified you. You have been, a, he's an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now our life belongs to him and we share that great truth. So living in the flow of the gospel, what we find as we pick up verse 26, we find that we need to make room for God's interruptions because he will interrupt our lives and he has every right to. When was the last time that you felt interrupted by God? I pray it was very recent. I pray it was on one of your very recent journeys that you felt that God was nudging you and interrupting you and stopping you. He may have put you in a hospital bed. He may have put you in a hallway where you ran into a person. He may have put you in a place where you made a connection that you had not made previously. He may have put you in a place where you needed to ask for help. He may have put you in a place where you were hurting and you had to reach out. But make room for God's interruptions. And that means we need to be attuned with what God is doing in his Holy Spirit. Look at verses 26 through 29. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I want you to know there could not have been a more desolate road that he was told to go on. Sometimes we say, God, I don't want to be down that road, but it's exactly where he wants us to be. So what did he do? He started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in the charge of all the treasury of, and the word is a little bit different in the original. It's really Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This was a high-level leader. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. I love that. God was setting Philip up for an encounter to live in the flow of the gospel. Then the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Just go and stand there. Don't make a nuisance of yourself. Just go and stand there. And I want to ask you, have you ever had an angel appear to you? Have you ever had an angel tell you what to do? Do you realize uh, that Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to those to serve those who will inherit salvation? Do you realize that you have angels ministering to you? What a beautiful picture from Scripture. Then in Hebrews 13 verse 2, angels are mentioned again. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. We have those encounters, and I don't think it's really up to us to try to figure out, was that an angel or not an angel? We're to be obedient to our Lord. I remember an encounter I had in northwest Iowa. 
And by the way, the, um, the pandemic we all went through, it really never, we never heard about it in Northwest Iowa. I just never even heard about it. So it was kind of a different world, but, but there were restaurants where they actually made you sit one table apart from others. So there was a little bit of that going on. I went up to this particular restaurant and I was going to uh, grab some lunch and take it and meet with a pastor in the area. And I was waiting. It was about a 20-minute wait, and I was standing against the wall. And I heard this voice, and the voice said, come and sit with me. And I'm like, you know, there's a pandemic going on. I'm on my phone. Doesn't it look like I have really important things to do? And, you know, really, we all have these phones. They, they keep us from really interacting because we can look like we're busy no matter where we are. And so I said, I didn't even look. I said, no, no, I'm good. But a minute later, I heard the same voice, and... Uh, this person said, the only reason I asked you to come and sit with me is because I was lonely. And then I felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit or the thumping upside my head of the Holy Spirit saying, um, what is wrong with you, Mike? Listen to me. And so I went and sat down with this man. He was a farmer. He was a retired farmer. And he said, I come into town, I come into town once a month just to sit down and talk with people. And I have been so lonely. And I had a half an hour conversation with this man and I felt like I walked away incredibly blessed. And it was an encounter that I had almost missed. And the opportunity to be present and listen to God. And I realized at that moment that I think I'm too busy. I have too many things going on. God, I don't want to make room for your interruptions. And I had a lot of uh, really introspection. I had to take a step back, and I, I had to ask God to do a new work in my heart because like Philip, if I were told just go and serve in that way, and when I was younger, I was more bold. When God called me to go, I would go. When God called me to share, I would share. When God called me to step out in love, I would step out in love. And as the years have gone by, I've kind of at times just settled into this routine of life, and I realized I don't want that anymore. I want exactly what God has for me at every moment. I want to be open to his interruptions. I want to make sure that I'm living in the flow of the gospel. And the second thing I want you to know as you live in the flow of the gospel is to listen to the questions of others. In Acts chapter 8, verses 30 to 31, Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said to him, do you understand what you're reading? It's a great question. He didn't come in and say, I know exactly what to tell you. He said, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand it? That's a, a, an amazingly humble question for a man who is on mission for Christ. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This person invited him into his chariot and he was the Ethiopian eunuch. There are two things we need to understand there. He was a man of great responsibility, the secretary of the treasury of Ethiopia. He had great authority and he had great influence over Ethiopia and Egypt. He worked with the queen. Her name was not Candace or Candake. That was her title like Pharaoh or emperor. And it was given to all of the queens in Ethiopia. 
He was obviously, though, a man who was searching. Do you know that there are, there are very few people that you will run into today that are not searching for life and hope? We have a culture that is groping in the dark for a light switch, and we know where it's at, and we need to be able to share and lead and direct and love in such a way that people understand the truth of Christ. He had come to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. He was looking for something. He was obviously not a Jew. Many scholars feel that he was a black man because the Ethiopians were black, and therefore this would be the first clear account in Scripture of a black man coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It was a powerful passage. He was a man of great authority, great responsibility, great intelligence, and he was investigating the Jewish faith. You, you cannot read this account without detecting a note of disillusionment. Probably at the temple, he grabbed a copy. They could buy copies of some of the Old Testament. And uh, no doubt he grabbed a book or a pro from the prophet Isaiah. And he was awakened to his own need. And he's reading this scroll in his chariot. And um, as they did in those days, he was reading it out loud. So he would have been heard. So the court of the Gentiles uh, at the temple was the outermost courtyard. I want to give you a picture here. He, as a non-Jew, would have been in the outermost courtyard. He would not have been invited in to the, to, to the temple. It was accessible to Gentiles, to foreigners, and those who were considered impure. Their worshipers could... They could mill around, they could exchange money, they could buy animals for sacrifices, they could buy copies of the Old Testament. And here he was, an African man standing in the Jewish temple, must have made him feel very out of place. And he was also what's called a eunuch, and I'm not going to go into great detail there, but a eunuch would have been somebody, and you can do your own study on that later, I just... Uh, don't feel like we need to dig into that deeply today, and you probably are thanking me for that. But he would not have been a challenge for the king whatsoever, or to the king's harem, or to the king's queen. And so they would like to have eunuchs around to serve and lead in very important ways because they, they wouldn't even have ancestry to follow, and they wouldn't overthrow the king because they have no one to follow them. And so where does he fit? And I wonder, even today, you may be saying, I don't know where I fit in God's kingdom. I don't know where I fit in God's church. There are times that perhaps you're walking into a church building or you're hanging out with God's people and you're wondering, where do I fit? And I want you to know, as you listen to this story, that it was the Holy Spirit of God that led Philip to a place where he would go after this one man that God wanted to reach. He was so particular. In a portion of Isaiah, there is a portion that addresses even the eunuchs, and he perhaps had read this already, Isaiah 56, 3 to 5, no foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I'm a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, 
I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. You may have been cut off from your family. I know a man who never married, never had any children. His mom and dad are now passed away. His two siblings have passed away. He said, Mike, I feel very much alone in this world. You may be somebody who feels very much alone in this world, like this man in the text. And what the scripture says, it's such a beautiful picture. In the salvation of Christ, I will give you something even greater than a family that walks with you on this earth. I will give you eternal life, and you'll be a part of my family. He would never have his own physical descendants, but he knew that uh, the welcome into God's family was real for him. What's powerful about churches that are on the move today, and I, I just want to interject this very quickly. I see four things as I travel around in churches that are seeing the Holy Spirit move. One is gospel clarity. They get the gospel right. The second is they're bold in the gospel. They really understand that the day in which we live needs bold men and women who are proclaiming truth. There's compassion for the broken and the lost. They are truly seen. And then also uh, there is a humility in these churches where God is on the move. And so I want to challenge you as a, a congregation, as you live in the flow of the gospel, to be that, to be a place continuing of gospel clarity, of gospel boldness, of compassion, but also of humility, allowing God to do whatever he wishes to do. The third thing I want you to know this morning is that we need to understand the key truths of the gospel. If you're going to live in the flow of the gospel, if God's going to use you to share truth and life um, in Christ from his word, you need to know the word. Acts chapter 8, verses 32 to 35 Let's pick it up there again. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And listen to what it says. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. He met him right where he was at and he knew exactly where to take him. You and I, we don't need to, we don't need to have this all memorized. But we do need to know it. We do need to understand the deep truths of God's word. We need to be in the word of God. We need to be studying the word of God. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. And I pray there's a smile on your face every once in a while where somebody needs to say, tell me about the hope you have. Where do, you, where do you get that hope? Because I'm really struggling with hope, they might say. Or where do you get that kind of joy when you're going through a trial? Because I need that. Those kind of people are all around you. And there are days that we wake up and we're exhausted and we're struggling. And, and yet we have this foundation in Christ. And there is a hope that should be seen in our lives no matter what we face. 
because in Christ, we are already living eternal life. You will never spiritually die if you're a follower of Christ. Physical death awaits us, and unless God has another plan for you, physical death will await us, but you will never spiritually die. If you are in Christ, we have an incredible presence of the Holy Spirit and the joy of Christ. So we need to know the truth of God and his word, that he created all things, including you. Young people, I want to say this to young, any young people in our audience who today might say, well, why did I... Why am I on this earth at such a difficult time? It seems really painful. Or, or a young mom or dad, you're having a baby in this, in this um, era, and you're saying, it would have been a lot easier to raise a child years ago. And I, I just want you to know that God wanted you here at this point in human history. You can trust his sovereign will. Our kids were raised with uh, an understanding of who Jesus is, and now they are raising their own kids to know Christ in a personal way. We need to know the truth about mankind and sin, the truth about Christ, and he came to live a holy and perfect life, an eternal sacrifice for our sins. He paid the debt that we couldn't ever pay by suffering and dying on the cross. We need to understand the response of the gospel and believe in his name for salvation. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is life eternal through Jesus Christ our Lord. And by the way, it doesn't get any better than that. It's an amazing work of the Holy Spirit when your heart is open. But you have people all around you who are really asking, do you even, even see me? I remember a couple of years ago, um, one of the churches where I served, we were taking staff pictures and we just asked uh, from the congregation if anybody would like to come in and take our staff pictures, somebody with experience, we hope. And a young lady volunteered. She came in and was taking all of our pictures. We were outside. And then when we got done, I went up to her. Another pastor was with me and said, we just want to thank you. I mean, really appreciate you doing this. What can, we, what can we give you for doing this for us? And she said, really nothing. I want to start a photography business. Um, you could certainly pray for me about that. And so we just took a moment and prayed for her and just sincerely thanked her. I had never met her before. She was a part of the congregation, but we had not met. That night, about 2 a.m., I got an email. The next morning, I read it. And the email started this way. Thank you for seeing me. And I realized as I read that email that all we did was say, what are your dreams? What are your hopes? And how can we pray for you? And in her heart, she needed somebody to see her. And I, just, I believe those people are all around us. I believe they're in your workplace. I believe they're the people that you see when you go in and you go to the same place of business over and over again. I believe that they are people you will run into this afternoon who desperately need the hope of Christ and need to be seen. And there are other believers all around you who need that encouragement. We live in a culture that has an epidemic of loneliness. One of the most thorough research projects on relationships is called the Alameda County study, headed by a Harvard social scientist, tracked 7,000 people over nine years. Very, very in-depth research. 
They found the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. Further, people who had bad health habits, smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, alcohol use, but strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, what they found out is it is better to eat ice cream with good friends than to eat kale alone. You need people around you, right? I mean, ice cream brings a smile to your face. I know what kale brings to my face and don't enjoy it very much. But hey, anyway, you know what? You're, um, if you have a small group ministry, do you realize that if you join a group and just hang out with other people in this next year, do you realize that your chances of dying in the next year are three times less? I mean, it's amazing the way God created us to need other people. I love a, a good small group ministry would be join or die. I mean, that would be a good uh, way to kind of plug the small group ministry. Feel, feeling a little lagging in your, your ability? Anyway, um, Acts chapter 36. Let's, let's hit the last point and then a couple of application points and we're done. We need to remove walls of division in God's church. Look at 36 to 40. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the uh, eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. What a beautiful picture. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Kind of a Star Trek moment there. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Philip invited into the man's chariot. You and I are invited to people's tables. Seek to understand them. In fact, a great question for somebody, even of another culture that you don't know, would be something like, what is it like to be you? What is it like to walk through life as you? Tell me about your life. This man understood that Philip had not only truth, but he was someone who began right where he needed to be, living in the flow of the gospel. He was open to God's interruption. He was willing to really stop and listen to the man's questions. He was prepared. And then he was willing to take the next steps with him. I love baptism. You have baptism coming up here in a few weeks. And it was one of my favorite things to do as a pastor was walk through that step-by-step step with a person to understand why in obedience it is significant in front of God's people to say, I am a follower of Christ. And when you go under the water, it's a picture of his death. When you come up out of the water, it's a picture of his resurrection. You get to be a moving picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's an amazing blessing. Just a couple of application points. And then we're done. Where do I start? We need to see others the way God sees them. We get stuck in, in seeing people the way we see them. We need to see them the way God sees them. It's not easy to do. I understand that. I get that. 
The second thing we need to do is we need to be available and live with margin in our day. We're so busy. If you arrive somewhere a few minutes early and, and you've got some margin, maybe you can encounter and have a, a relationship, a friendship that, will, that will, will lead to an opportunity to share Christ. And it's for every single one of us, we need to be involved. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter how much you know. If you're a follower of Christ, by the way, it is normative to share your faith. It is normative to talk about the one who loves you. I had this little guy on my little league team. I coached little league for years with our, with our boys and then softball with our girls. But this little boy, um, little league team, he didn't want to play. And the rules in little league are you have to bat once and you have to be in the field once. And he said, it was his time. And I, I said, you got to go up to bat. And he said, I'm okay. I don't need to, I don't need to bat. He was terrified. I said, you really do need to. We forfeit the game if you don't bat or go in the field for an inning. You can do it. I'll even stand up there with you. He's like, no, coach, I'm good. I don't need to play. So I walked over and, and I said, isn't that your mom and dad over there in the lawn chairs right behind the fence? Don't they want you to play? And he goes, no, they're good. <laughs> so those are your grandparents there too. They drove kind of a long ways to come and see you play a little bit at least. He goes, no, they're good. They're good too. I said, no, you need, you need to play. And so finally got him up to the plate and he just watched pitches go by and the, the umpire was very kind to call even ball strikes. He struck out, went right back to the dugout. But at least he got up there. And I want you to know that God wants every single one of us to be willing to step in and say, I am terrified God, I have no idea how to share exactly what you did in my heart, in my life. But I want you to know, people are craving. They want realness. They want, I don't have it all together, but Jesus Christ has transformed my heart. I am imperfect. He is perfect. They need it. I needed it. Third thing, just application. Share what God has done rather than telling others what to do. Isn't that critical in our culture? Here's what God has done in my life. And then finally, pray for opportunities. And I'm going to do that right now with you, God's people. Here we are gathered. Uh, there, I don't know how many are in this room, but there are many. And as we gather together, imagine what God will do if we say, God, I'm just open to whatever you want to do with my day. I've got things I feel like in my calendar I need to keep. Be a person of your word. But God, I want to be open to your interruptions. I want to be open to seeing people. I want to know your word so I can share it. But most importantly, I want to share truth in a way that doesn't start where I want to start. I want to start where the people are at that you are doing a work in their heart right now. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being called followers of Jesus Christ. Holy God, uh, I look at the text and I, and I see just Philip's willingness to be obedient from beginning to end. It was about obedience. He was excited to share, but, but it was more an act of obedience than anything else. Oh, Father, I pray that you would remind us that every single one of us is on mission. It's not only for our pastors or staff at the church or elders 
or leaders in the church. It's for every single one who claims to know Christ in a personal way. The gospel needs to be a part of our, our daily life. God, help us to live in the flow of the gospel. And then I pray that you raise up men and women of all ages here who would come up to um, their leaders or, or people like myself and just say, I, I want to be used. How can I be used to serve the kingdom? Because the needs are so great. Uh, Father, do with us what you wish. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.